Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. This is the second week of shows dedicated to candidate interviews for the provincial election for Northumberland Peterborough South. The election will be held on June 2nd. The order is completely random based on when the various candidates were able to book interviews. This week, we start with the NDP candidate, Kim MacArthur Jackson. You might recognize her name. She was also the NDP candidate in the federal election this past fall. I'm so pleased to have with me today, Kim MacArthur Jackson, the candidate for the NDP for the provincial election. Welcome to Consider This. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Instead of going over all the party platform stuff you've included in your speeches and your campaign literature, I want you to pick one thing, and I want to hold you to just one, that you did not include. So that's one thing that we will not read or hear over the next couple of weeks that you wish you had included. That's a bit of a tough one. I would have to say... I would like to see more of a focus on, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be careful here because I know there is a lot in the platform about um, disabilities, disabled people, and that sort of thing. Um, so it's not so much to say that it's not in there, but more specifically with you know kids dealing with disabilities in schools. Um, the resources that they require. And that's why I was a bit hesitant um, because there is absolutely information in there about disabilities. There absolutely is information in there about education, but specifically dealing with, you know, a situation when kids have disabilities in schools and the lack of resources they have, especially in smaller areas. It's really difficult for, you know, teachers and assistance and everybody to be able to cope with those kind of situations without the resources. Now, do you have any experience with that? Do you know of anybody or close to anyone that that faces those kinds of challenges? I actually do um, have personal experience with that. Uh, My younger three children are on the autism spectrum. Um, There is a fair amount, of course, in the platform about the Ontario Autism Program. And, you know, there's been a lot of people talking about the the difficulties that we've seen with it over the last four years. But, um, you know, dealing with that specifically and dealing with, you know, learning disabilities, um, teachers have so many students that they are looking after. And especially over the last two years, all of these students have, you know, very real types of trauma that they're dealing with between COVID and, you know, A lot of them have parents who are out of work and worrying about money and, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, you have all of this trauma combined with potentially learning disabilities, Um, you know, kids who are on the autism spectrum and have very unique learning styles or very unique needs. Um, 
and you know, trying to bring that all together in a classroom while also trying to make sure that kids are staying a certain distance apart and masking and you know, washing their hands and that sort of thing with very little in the way of resources. And it's so difficult for them. You ran for the NDP in the federal election in the fall. Now give me one thing that you have learned or been taught about being a candidate that people would be surprised to learn. You know, something you bring to the table this time that you did not know before. It was definitely a learning experience uh, when I ran in the fall. It was my first time. And I don't think that people realize just how much time is involved. Uh, I think a lot of people look at an election and the automatic assumption is, you know, everybody who's running is being paid, being compensated, um, you know, being reimbursed for expenses and that sort of thing. And that definitely is the case in certain situations, but in most situations, that's not the case. It, it is volunteer work. Um, you know, kind of to the nth degree. And I think that's something that I was able to plan for a little bit better this time, um, you know, with having kids at home and that sort of thing, just knowing what to expect and what to accommodate for and that kind of thing. What is the most frustrating thing so far about being a candidate? I think it's, it's frustrating that so many issues seem to simply come down to sound bites. I, I feel like we're kind of moving away from having, you know, in-depth discussions and talking about issues, looking at all aspects of issues and just basically coming at everything from a more holistic view. And right now it just seems like everything really is down to sound bites. It's down to, you know, quick graphics that you can read in half a second and Unfortunately, I don't think that's really doing us any favors when it comes to how we're being governed. And I'd like to see us being able to have those more in-depth discussions. What would you like to discuss in depth? I think one of the things that people tend to see when they look at politics is strictly party. It's, it's, you know, I agree with this party and that's kind of the end of it. There's, there's not necessarily a whole lot of discussion around, well, what are, you know, the policies of that party? What is the end goal? What are we reaching towards? I mean, the point of government is to bring us together as communities, as a society, and make sure that everybody has what they need, that everybody is, you know, able to access healthcare, education, um, housing, everything that's needed. And I don't see us looking at government as a way to do that anymore right now. I, I see that we're more looking at, you know, very small individual bits and pieces instead of looking at that whole view and figuring out how we can all work together to make sure that everybody has what they need. What's the best thing about being a candidate? Definitely getting to talk to people. I think, um, I mean, in, in work, in my activism, being able to talk to people and hear their stories, um, you know, whether it's stories about successes they've had, whether it's stories about where they're struggling and where they need assistance, um, just being able to get a really good grasp of what's going on in people's lives and where they need 
people to be able to step in and advocate for them or assist them. Um, that's got to be the best part, um, both in the federal election and in this election, is having that ability to speak with people. Well, let's start talking about some issues then. So affordability seems to be at the heart of this election. So let's begin with housing. Now, your party's platform says you will increase the supply of housing options. Can you explain what that means? Absolutely. Um, there's a couple of different things that we're looking at. So one, of course, is affordable housing. We need to make sure that there is more affordable housing available to people, um, both on the rental side and on the purchasing side. I think we've gotten, as a society, very focused on, you know, detached dwellings, um, you know, having all of this space. And that's not always the best option for people when you have, you know, things like duplexes, triplexes, um, you know, it, it, it allows people to be able to get into the market and start building equity so that they can move towards, you know, their eventual goal. And it also helps people who are in the rental market because there's just simply so little available out there right now that having more of these, um, you know, multi-unit options um, besides simply apartment buildings would make things so much easier for people. When you think about it, I mean, duplexes and triplexes and townhomes uh, won't solve anything if the demand is super high. I mean, uh, it, it still is going to end up being expensive. Well, and like you said, I mean, the, the main issue is that there's a high demand and there's just at the moment, not enough housing to reach the demand. Um, so by putting more focus on townhomes, on you know, multi-residential units, it's going to allow more people to be able to get into the market. When the primary building is of um, you know, single family detached homes, there's a lot of uh, space that's being wasted and it's only serving a very small portion, um, having more available when it comes to multi-residential units will help with that. How do you convince though developers to do that? Because of course they have to make a business case. And if what's selling is single family dwellings and people are prepared to pay the prices for them, um, how do you encourage them to do something that maybe not be as profitable or as, as, as straightforward? Can you help me? Absolutely. There's a few different ways. Um, there's always the ability to put incentives in front of builders in order to do these things, of course, um, whether it be tax incentives, um, you know, building incentives as far as um, discounts on materials and that sort of thing. But I think a big part of it also has to be um, public housing. I think the, the government has gotten very far away from being involved in housing and that's a huge reason why we've seen such drastic increases in the market. Um, so we need to be able to help in that way as well. Okay, let's talk about that, because one of the proposals in the party platform is something called Housing Ontario. And they say it's a new public agency that will operate public nonprofit and co-op housing. But isn't that just a rehash of the same kind of social housing we see along, say, Elgin Street in Coburg or other places around the county? Um, you know, how is this a good solution? Well, I think part of the problem is that there is very much um, a negative connotation that goes along with public housing. And that's something I think that really needs to be addressed. There's a huge stigma that is attached 
to being low income, to being, um, you know, disabled and collecting ODSP and that sort of thing. So it tends to, when, when people look at those types of developments, they tend to look at them and stigmatize them. And that doesn't need to be the case. I mean, having housing available for everybody who needs it is inherently a human right. I mean, we want seniors to have somewhere that they can live and be able to afford the rent. So they're not trying to choose between paying the rent and buying food or, you know, paying their bills. That's not a position anybody should be in. But you know, there's people listening right now that are going to say, look, it's not the role of government to be a developer, to, to be a landlord. The role of government is to do other things. And, and they will bristle at the fact that, you know, that you're promoting this idea that it should be uh, controlled by the provincial government on some level. So uh, how, what do you say to those people? What makes a case that this is the right thing to do? Honestly, I think a lot of it comes back to what I was saying earlier, which is that we need to have more of a, a broad view and a long-term vision of what our aim is. We've seen what can happen when we simply just, you know, take the government out of the equation more or less and leave things up to the open market. And what ends up happening is you have a lot of people who cannot afford housing full stop. Um, you know, we see an increase in homelessness. We see an increase in people using food banks. We see an increase in people who require assistance just to be able to pay rent and, you know, get through day to day. I would say that the government is not meant to be, you know, a developer, but we are meant to work in conjunction with developers to make sure that our communities have everything that is required. I have to say this, that this has also been a, an approach that the liberals did this uh, back when they were in power. They tried to work with developers. I mean, if you talk to anybody that does uh, social housing or affordable housing in the county will tell you that they've tried to work with developers. And as you can see, uh, we have a, over a 10 year waiting list for social housing. So it hasn't been very successful in the past. I'm, I'm just not sure people are listening and they were to think about this, they were gonna say that, how are we gonna really get it done this time around? What's gonna make you guys different that developers are gonna suddenly listen and start working with you? Well, and I honestly, I think a big piece of that is the last two years have shown us just how important it is to have proper social structure in place. Um, you know, especially when you have something like a pandemic that we've been dealing with, for people to not have a basic human need such as housing when we're in the middle of a pandemic, it, it just makes everything exponentially worse. And we need to come at it not with half measures, but we need to come at it full force. We need to make sure that we're not just saying during a campaign, housing is an issue we need to address. We need to make sure that we have a full plan in place to get there and that we push to do it so that we can make sure that things are happening, not just talking during a campaign. Well, speaking about talking, um, the party uh, is looking at bringing back rent control. And there are, I know there are going to be landlords listening who are going to be lighting their hair on fire when they hear this. Why is this a good solution? I think everything comes down to balance. Um, and th that's where you run into problems when you have 
anything that's inherently unbalanced, you're going to have issues. You have to have controls in place to make sure that everybody has a fair shot and that everybody's being treated fairly. Something like, you know, paying rent shouldn't basically be an auction that's up to the highest bidder. I had, um, you know, somebody that I was speaking with not long ago who was looking for somewhere to live. They have a great job. Their partner has a great job. Um, you know, they've been perfect tenants, but the house is being sold. So they have to move. They went and applied for an apartment or uh, not an apartment, sorry, a, a townhouse. And, you know, credit check came back great. Everything was fine. They were ready to sign papers and the landlord came back to them and told them that they were not going to be getting it, even though they were perfect candidates, because they found somebody else that was willing to pay hundreds of dollars more a month and pay a year up front. How are families supposed to be able to compete with that? How many people have thousands and thousands of dollars to be able to pay a year up front? So that's where the unfairness is coming in. Even, you know, people who have you know, the ability to be able to pay rent, to be able to pay first and last, you know, good people who are in the best possible position still can't make it work. So how is it supposed to work for people who aren't in that position? I'd like to move on to childcare. The Conservative government just signed a deal for a $10 a day child uh, childcare. One of the concerns though, is with the current plan is the ability for childcare centers to opt out how would you deal with this? And how would you get a better deal than $10 a day? Well, one thing that we have to be very cognizant of is that having uh, subsidized childcare in any form ends up benefiting the economy as a whole because any funds that aren't being paid directly towards childcare are going back into the economy and allowing parents to be able to get out there and work because they have affordable childcare, again, is a benefit to the economy. Um, one of the things that we need to make sure that we're looking at is having enough spaces. One of the big concerns is that we won't have enough spaces. Like, great, we have $10 a day childcare, but nobody can get it because there's just not enough space for it. So expanding the spaces that are available and making sure that, you know, everybody that's working in those spaces are being paid a fair wage, that, you know, they have the benefits that they need. It's, it's basically taking something that is a community need anyway, and making sure that we're not only expanding on it, but expanding on it in a way that benefits everybody in the community. Would you make it mandatory that all childcare spaces would be in the range of a $10 a day? Well, and that can be problematic because then you can start running into, um, you know, situations with private care and public care, and again, availability. Um, so you have to make sure that, you know, the overwhelming majority are involved in this public care plan. If somebody is opting out, it would have to be for a very good reason. There would have to be an underlying reason, not just we don't want to do this, but you know, there's an underlying reason, such as they're providing specialized care um, of some sort, whether it be for, um, you know, specific disabilities or whether it be um, outside of normal care hours, that kind of thing. But we can't just have everybody opting out or we won't have it at all. What about um, people who take children in, in an unlicensed uh, situation? Would you continue to allow that to take place? 
the reason that we see so much unlicensed daycare is because of the lack of daycare that's available and the lack of affordable daycare that's available. Um, honestly, I think that type of a situation is something that's basically going to correct itself. If we have enough um, properly licensed, affordable daycare spaces available, people are going to use them. The majority of people who are using unlicensed spaces are doing so because they have no other choice. Your party's platform has a something that's called the Provincial Food Strategy. Can you tell me how that works and how that's going to make my groceries cheaper? One of the things that we really want to focus on is making sure that everything is basically as local as possible. We have, you know, in our riding, for example, we have a lot of farms. We have a lot of availability um, when it comes to food. And we want to make sure that, you know, people are able to access that food. A lot of the reason that people go to grocery stores is convenience and sometimes uh, simply access. They don't necessarily have the access to get around to other places. So we want to make sure that those local foods are being made available in places like grocery stores and whatnot. Um, it's basically just about, again, looking at the big picture instead of looking at, um, you know, what the best profits are going to come from. Um, so I, I think that's something that we really need to focus on in Ontario. Okay, I, I'm, forgive me, but I'm still a bit confused how my groceries are going to be cheaper just because they're local. I mean, I can go down now, there's lots of farmers markets all across Northumberland, I can go down, and I can buy uh, groceries there, uh, fruit, vegetables, whatever. Um, how is that going to make my grocery bill cheaper? Well, we'd like to see grocery stores, instead of just buying from, you know, whomever they're used to dealing with, we want to see them dealing with local farms. Um, and we want to make sure that the local farms are being paid fairly for their items, but that it's also affordable for people who are actually purchasing said items. Um, a big part of that is supply chain, of course. When you have, you know, apples that are coming from out of country instead of from a local orchard, you've got a huge amount of additional cost that is um, exponentially attached to that because of all the shipping, um, because of all of the, uh, the traveling and that sort of thing. Um, keeping the supply chain closer to home is going to help to cut down on those costs because the costs aren't going to be as high when it comes to actually moving things around. I think that's something we've really gotten away from, um, you know, over the last probably 15, 20 years. It's, it's so much less common for people to be eating food that's come from, you know, within a, a relatively short distance from them and so much more common to be eating produce that's come from another country. And that doesn't help with the environmental factor either. Gas prices are very, very high right now. I think some places you're paying two bucks a liter. Your party talks about regulating gas prices at the pump. So there will be some who will say the government interference in the marketplace will make a bigger mess of the current system. Government should stay out of free markets. So how do you respond to those kinds of statements? I have a really difficult uh, time with the concept that government should stay out of free market because the free market in and of itself is designed to basically be as expensive as possible. And 
once you get to the point where everything's so expensive that people can't afford it, it's going to begin to collapse on itself. So having the government involved with it, trying to keep things um, at a manageable level so that there is profit, but there's also affordability, really benefits everybody overall. Um, and I mean, we've all seen on long weekends, you know, the, the gas prices started off at $1.49 and lo and behold, you know, towards the end of the day, suddenly they've jumped up to $1.99 and come on, realistically, we know that the price of oil didn't jump up that much in the last couple of hours. Um, so there is a requirement for the government to be involved in making sure that there's not gouging happening and you know that it's affordable to everybody and not just the wealthy. Their party's plan offers a caregiver benefit program. And while this will give uh, $400 a month to people looking for after a family member at home, it does not lift the burden placed on these people. How does your plan help these people with these stresses? I would say that the, the benefit is one piece of a bigger whole. Um, we can't really look at any one particular item and say, yes, this is going to fix everything. This is going to make things better for the people who are involved. Um, but that one piece, in addition to the other things that are being made available, um, you know, the, the increase in health that's going to be made available, the increase in health care, all of that as a whole is going to help put people in a better position um, along with that particular benefit. And I think that's honestly, that's the key. It's really about looking at the whole, not necessarily just individual pieces, because no one individual piece is going to improve everything, but multiple small pieces coming together as a whole will really help to improve the situation for a lot more people. Your party promises to pay for 50,000 new beds in long-term care by 2030. How are you gonna pay for that? I think one of the most important things that we need to look at when it comes to spending is honestly the difference between spending and investing. Um, when you invest in your communities properly, you see a return. Proper investing, you're going to get a return. When we're investing in, for example, long-term care, one of the things that we're going to see is a more regulated um, system. So people are getting the care that they need and we don't need to, for example, call in the military to help out during a pandemic. Um, you know, we don't see the additional insane amount of health care that was required because people weren't able to be properly separated during the pandemic. Um, having everything regulated just improves it for everybody, which pays for itself and then some because it decreases the costs, sorry, decreases the costs elsewhere, um, such as in healthcare. There is a need right now for 22,000 nurses across this province. How would you resolve that issue? There's a few different ways. Um, one is we obviously have to start looking after our nurses. We lost so many nurses during the pandemic because they frankly were just fed up with, you know, not being able to be paid properly, with not being able to get time off. 
we were calling them heroes, but treating them terribly. And so we lost a lot of people. If you want people to stay in that particular um, type of work, especially such a stressful type of work, you have to make sure you're looking after them. In addition to that, though, we have a lot of people in Canada who have been trained as nurses, but can't work as nurses because it's so difficult for them to get the accreditation that they need because they've been trained outside of Canada. So we have all of these people with the information that they need, with the, the experience that they need, but they're not able to work. So we need to make sure that we're improving that accreditation process and making it much faster so they can get into the work that they should be doing. Would you reverse the decision and let the sale of the Wesleyville lands to Port Hope go forward as originally planned? To be honest, I don't have a lot of um, background information on that situation. One of the things that really bothered me about that was the last minute nature of everything that happened. Everybody was, you know, kind of just ticking along and, and getting ready to go. And then all of a sudden, everything, ever, everything just came to a full stop. And that's not something that ever should have happened. If there ever was any question about how it had to be dealt with or anything like that, it should have been brought up much earlier in the process. Um, but as far as the actual, um, the situation itself goes, honestly, I'd have to do more research on it and get more background on it. Your party promises to raise the minimum wage to $20 an hour by 2026. And it's get there by raising it a dollar each year to that point. Yet the living wage for Northumberland County is currently $19. That's now in 2022. Mm -hmm. How does your plan help people working in minimum wage jobs right now? I think the first thing we need to do is acknowledge the fact that cost of living has gone up exponentially in the last little while. And it's going to continue to go up. Um, you know, talking about a, a $20 minimum wage, it's important because that is a living wage right now. Um, but we also have to make sure that we're, we're looking at realistic goals. Having said that, you know, if inflation keeps going the way it has been, and we keep seeing increases to the prices of everything, we may have to look at that and reevaluate it based on those circumstances. Um, one of the nice things when it comes to minimum wage increases is that, again, it, it benefits the economy so well because all of those extra funds are going directly into the economy. Um, so it is an overall benefit. To so the why, do you, why do you need to review it then? Why can't we just go to $20 an hour now? Because that's what it takes to live properly in Northumberland. It's one thing for bigger corporations to be able to make that kind of a jump. It's a completely different story for smaller businesses to be able to make that kind of a jump. We have to make sure that as we're increasing it, that we're also keeping it fair for, you know, smaller businesses that are going to be paying those wages and having such a drastic jump in such a short time could make things extremely difficult for them. And that's the last thing we want to do as they're, you know, trying to recover coming out of a pandemic as well. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult situation because there's nothing I'd love more than to, like you said, just increase it now. Um, but we do have to make sure that we're doing it incrementally enough that it's not going to be a, a major difficulty for small businesses. We live in a time where politics is very divisive. 
and there's a lot of negativity and we see this in the legislature we watch attack ads and some people may wonder whatever happened to civility in politics can you name one policy or idea put forward by the conservatives or the liberals or other parties that you would support Oh, absolutely. I mean, there, there are definitely certain things, especially when it comes to, um, you know, one example is the Green Party on environmental issues. I mean, they absolutely know what they're doing when it comes to environmental issues. Um, you know, and that's, that's what I would like to see is a lot more um, cooperation between parties, so that it's, it's not so divisive, and it's not so focused on negativity. Um, there's definitely pros and cons. I mean, honestly, looking at the federal um, government right now, the, the cooperation between the Liberal Party and the federal NDP party, that's kind of a perfect example. There was a lot of people that when they saw that initially, they really got their back up. It was, a lot of people found it hugely problematic. And I looked at, looked at it and went, that's how our government is supposed to work. It's supposed to be cooperative. We're supposed to be making sure that, you know, we're supporting policies that help people and, you know, cutting out policies that don't. Like that's literally what it's designed for, but people found it so problematic. The NDP placed second in this writing in the last provincial election. Why was there not a candidate in place before the writ was dropped this time around? There, I completely understand where you're coming from there. Um, to a certain degree, in all honesty, that is on me. Um, because I did just run in the federal election, I had to make sure that basically I was able, I was going to be able to devote the time needed moving forward. So I ended up kind of slowing things down and just making sure that I was going to have the availability that I was going to be able to put my all into the election. Um, and it's unfortunate that it did end up slowing things down a little bit, but I will take ownership of that. All right. I'd like to wrap up by asking you this. Tell me one thing that you are passionate about, a hobby or a guilty pleasure or an activity that has nothing to do with politics. I would say podcasts. I absolutely love listening to podcasts. And um, right now I would say my, my three favorite podcasts, two of them are Stephen King related because I love Stephen King. Um, and one of them is a, a really interesting podcast that's all about basically uh, historical figures and you know learning about them outside of what they're known for. So basically background information and that sort of thing. I've always loved documentaries. So I think podcasts are just my way of being able to get that consistently. Kim MacArthur Jackson, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. That was Kim MacArthur Jackson, the candidate for the New Democratic Party. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. 
There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.